This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fan podcast. If you ever wondered why we were the Five Point Play, pick up a copy of Coach Payne's legendary book, The Five Point Play, all about the 2001 National Championship. And Jack, I don't even know if you were old enough to be even considered a Duke fan at that point, but... I was born during a UNC game. I've been a Duke fan since birth. <laughs> oh, man. During the game, problem. huh? But, you know, yeah, Jack, during the game. During the game. And, and that's when you knew, Jack, that you were a diehard Duke basketball fan. So if I told you, Jack, that your other co-host, uh, AC, turned down Duke tickets last Saturday, what would you say to that? <laughs> I would say, why would you do I, Actually, I can't even speak. I did the same thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. I mean, you know. It, wasn't, gonna... my, it wasn't my decision, but. So, you know, last Saturday, I'm unfortunately at the uh, the Miami game, and, you know, I, I went to the games, bro. <laughs> well, hey, I was at the Virginia Tech game. That weren't that right. pretty well. You were everybody. at Louisville a couple of years ago, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, I was not at the Louisville um, a couple of years ago. But, um, look, I've seen my share of, of phenomenal Duke wins, and, and, and if we want to really go down this road, your boy was in Indianapolis the last few times uh, that, that we played. So I think we'll take that track record if, if, yeah, if we need yeah. if, if we need to i'll take but, that over a january miami game anyway that, that's exactly, exactly. right but, I, but uh yeah so you know do basketball we've had a lot of just crazy things going on we kind of knew that this year at some point would have some sort of interruption but you know i don't i can't speak for you guys but i'm pretty happy that we got it out of the way now oh yeah yeah i think uh i think getting it out of the way in january is the best case scenario and it seems like everyone on earth is dealing with it so I think we'll be able to move on from here. Yeah, and, and they uh, I just read a report that said uh, NCAA is going to allow uh, natural immunity to be considered uh, along with, um, you know, boosters and all that kind of stuff. So just that is, nice. you know, yes. But yes, that's good. If everybody on Duke has already gotten it, then, you know, it should mm-hmm. be uh, smooth sailing for the rest of the year as far as testing and all that kind of stuff is concerned. But during that time, during that time off, we had like 12 or something days off. Jack, you kind of came up with some kind of brand new database. Of, awesome. uh, I mean, this is just insane. <laughs> I don't know where you get the time to do this, but this is unbelievable. So we're going to do a new segment. We're going to pick it right off with it here, Jack. Kind of explain what we are got going on for, for this week in Duke history and what you put together. Yeah, that's right. So I built a little uh, program. I'm a computer science major uh, on winter break, so I have some time to uh, to do whatever. I, I built a little accessor for Duke's database to grab any game on any day of the calendar year. And so we're launching this week in Duke history starting uh, starting today. Awesome. So uh, this week is the week of January 10th. So we're going to start with January 10th in 1998. Rashawn McLeod had 25 points in a win against number 13 Florida State. Shane Battier had a three blocks for the Blue Devils, mm-hmm. who were ranked number two at the time huge game for the Blue Devils in what turned out to be a pretty good season for them. Of course, the season after was a little more successful, but 98 was the kickoff for that 99 team and that 01 team a couple of years following that. Uh, then you look to January 11th, today, our day of recording. You got 2020. Trey Jones had four steals and a very, very good shooting night from the floor. He went three for four from three. He only missed a few shots inside the arc as well. And more importantly, Duke debuted their brotherhood jerseys against Wake Forest in 90-59 to 59 blowout. I know TK was at the game. Thank you, thank you Jack. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> is that I remember that, day. Too, that TK is at the game? Is that there? 
Can we, can we like, like an asterisk for every game that game. Day was at? Yeah, that's what we need to do. I wish I could. I'm paying that Build Brotherhood uh, unveiling, so, you know, eat that Badass. easy. Badass. <laughs> hey, man, you got me, man. You got me. Continue, another, another big thing that happened on this day in Duke history, 2006, January 11th, Duke played Maryland. Sheldon Williams, 19 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 blocks. The first triple-double in Duke history under Coach K, and mm-hmm. the first triple-double since Gene Banks as a freshman in 1978, which hard, is absolutely amazing. How hard is it, AC, to have a triple-double and have blocks be one of them? With blocks, that's, dude, that's incredibly difficult. That's something that you usually only see in the pros. And to do it against Maryland, too, with good riddance Maryland. But they, they were decent back then. That wasn't like that was like, you know, they weren't doing it against Loyola of Maryland. It was that's Maryland University, folks, and or University of. And they and Sheldon, man, he went nuts. That's his senior season, man. That's incredible. He, he just he played yeah. so well. Sheldon honestly incredibly slept on that senior season because of JJ Reddick, mm-hmm. who was national player of the year. Sheldon, though, was a two-time national defensive player of the year. You gotta yeah. remember that. Yeah. That guy yeah. absolutely incredible. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him. He's a very nice guy. And just we gotta get him on the show. What is this? I'll reach out. I'll reach out to him. (laughs) Sheldon's a good guy, though. That's the point I'm trying to make. And then a little further down the road in this week in Duke history, going all the way down now to January 15th, 2003, JJ Reddick had a 34 point game against Virginia and only took him 13 attempts from the floor to get there. Nine makes, 13 attempts, and a lot of free throws. But more iconic I was at in that, that game. performance. More important in that TK was at that game. That's true. <laughs> and AC was much. telling me yesterday, AC remembers exactly where he was at this game too. Now, Dante Jones had the second biggest performance in this game, but definitely the one that's more remembered. He had 23 points, but he had this iconic dunk that ended with him Either. doing push-ups on the floor. <laughs> also ended Nick Vanderlane's career. <laughs> true, that's true. Uh, no, now, he, here's he, the crazy he, thing. He, he lives on. <laughs> supposedly (laughs) here's the thing this is a game against uva and duke won 104 to 93 that's Mm -hmm. unheard of today Mm -hmm. absolutely unheard of for uva to drop anything close to 90 points sometimes even combined yeah dave lato that's that's the dave lato uva days that's exactly it yeah and then last last thing i was able to find for this week going all the way back to 1966 Jack Marin put up 36 points and 12 rebounds. Ten of them were offensive. And Bob Verga had 23 points, seven rebounds, and six assists for the number one ranked Blue Devils who beat Wake Forest 101 to 81. There we go, Jack. And I was not at that game. No, I was not either. I was not at that one. Um, so there we have it. I mean, that's just going to be AC. I think it's going to be a weekly segment now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, dude. That's too, too much work put in by Jack and too. It's too awesome for us to be able to go back and just be able to quickly reminisce like this. I love it, man. It's such going to be such a good segment. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great job, Jack. Stat boy over there, uh, pulling all that together. We appreciate it. Uh, and I think I think our uh, listeners will definitely like that as well. So switching gears, a little bit negatory here. Um, Miami, what the hell happened, AC? Dude, I don't know. Because if you look at, if you look at the stats. Yep. It, like it looks like we should have won the game. Like we were, we were competitive that game. I, I, I've seen. Yeah, let's let's not even focus on the overreactions that have happened all over the internet about this game, including us being dropped all the way down to the number eighteen in the nation. Well, whatever. 
complete overreactions. The team looked good, dude. Like we shot 82% from the line. Like the line wasn't our problem. The, you know, the, the three point line wasn't great, but it still wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't our complete downfall. Let's, we have to look at the turnover problem. We have to, the game started out with the turnovers and it ended with turnovers and sandwiched in between with some really good play by Duke to get back in the game, to take the lead and to hold the lead for most of the game after that. But the end of the game, man, in the beginning of the game, and, and it's that turnover issue, 17 turnovers, the most we've had all season, it's, that's unacceptable in this, in this vein. And now you look at two different losses and not really the same results because the Ohio State loss, we didn't turn the ball over like that. It was, that was more of a defending two problem. This time around, we couldn't defend it two and we're turning the ball over. So, you know, this is, it's something that we got to work on. Defending the two has been something we've been really good with. We have shot blockers down low. We have the defensive capabilities. We had nine blocks this game. Like, yeah. you know, the, defending the paint shouldn't be an issue for us, but right, at least the past couple of games, we have definitely been beat in, tip, in kind of typical Duke fashion on the back door when that had actually been something we've done well. We had defended the back door pretty well all season, and now, you know, suddenly we're back to overextending on defense and not being able to defend that back door. Yeah, that, that was very frustrating watching, you know, Back door at the back door, you know, you're playing Jack, you're playing 25 to 30 seconds of, of phenomenal defense, and then you let something like that happen. It's, uh, it was very frustrating. And even though we out rebounded them by 14 rebounds, they got the key ones that we needed uh, at the very end of the game. Uh, so that was very frustrating. But at the end of the day, I felt like, and, and, and you kind of let me know what you feel like, uh, against Ohio State and against Miami, the two losses that Duke has, I felt like we just handed the opponent the game. Well, I, I will agree for the – I will agree, however, I think the Miami game is a little more nuanced than that because this is a team that they all had COVID, like like we said at the beginning of the podcast, and they had a total of three practices in the entire week, not including their game against Georgia Tech, which was incredibly sloppy as well. I'm not going to lie. Miami's just a better team than Georgia Tech, so they were able to come out with a win. Um, it takes – I there was a – a Duke account on Twitter, Brotherhood CBB, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Duke accounts over there on Twitter. Uh, shout out to him. He pointed out that it takes most teams two games to fully recover after a COVID pause because they got to get used to playing again. Their conditioning's not a hundred percent, and they need to just practice. And I think I think by tomorrow's game, the team, the Duke team, will be back to a hundred percent. I think this was just a little bit of a COVID layoff, more than anything. I think. If this team is at 100%, they win this game running away. That's the primary issue. However, defense defense was a little sloppy. The turnovers, it was a lot of sloppy play, and I think that's consistent with not having played together much in the last two weeks. Yeah, AC, you know, we can talk about that a little bit, but I do want to talk about uh, one other thing that I've seen the criticism of Coach Payne. This is kind of one that, you know, you've seen over the last 40 years. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't play, he doesn't play deep bench. He basically played five and you know five guys, six guys, um, the entire second half. Mm-hmm. Joey got in for six minutes in the first half. Theo in the, uh, the first half played three minutes, and that was it. Then right. it was, and then it was on a top six guys, which we all knew who our top six guys are. That's, that's you know not up for debate. Having said that, you know you're trying to get your your body, your legs underneath you at this point. You're coming off this COVID layoff. Do you think that that was a miscalculation on Kay's part? No, I wouldn't call it necessarily a miscalculation. I think 
the six guys that played, Wendell, Trevor, Jeremy, Paulo, Mark, and AJ, are going to be the ones, if we're in the national championship game, you know Kay's going to play six, maybe seven guys, and those are the six that we want on the floor. Love Joey, love Theo, but if those six are playing well, then they need to be on the floor. That's just kind of how it goes. It's our most, yeah. our most talented group. I think this game turned into one of those high-level competitions, so I think that's kind of what Kay reverted to, which he typically does. All season, he's played, you know, nine, almost ten guys in, in most games. So, Kay, you, Kay's usage of the bench hasn't been a problem for me. And this game, it wasn't a problem. The, the bench usage was not a problem. Because, you know, we have our six best players and six best defenders on the floor. They're getting beat. What do you think is going to happen when Joey's in the game? Like, what do you think is going to happen when Theo's in the game? Because both of those guys aren't great perimeter defenders. You know, they, they, haven't, they haven't proven this season that, you know, Theo's, Theo's done well down low. Uh, on the defensive end, but in terms of rebounding some of the other things, he's still kind of lacked there a little bit. And, you know, Joey was into that six minutes. That one is the one that kind of surprised me the most, maybe just because he didn't even get a look at a jumper when he came into the game. So I don't, I don't know what the deal was with that situation, but when it comes down to it, th- these are the six that are going to play most of the minutes when we have these big high level games. So I'm, I'm not I'm not concerned about the bench. The bench didn't cost us this game as as people are trying to make it seem. However, when you have guys like Wendell and Trevor not you know not playing their best, they do need to be able to sit down from time to time. And you know that that kind of wasn't the case in this game. But again, I'd rather those guys be on the floor than anybody else because when we were playing well, those guys were a part of the reason why. And I, I hate to do it to you, AC, but I'm gonna keep it with you here. Jeremy Roach. Did not play a great game, but he did make some big. But he did make some big moments. Mm-hmm. Um, big, make some big plays. Talk to me about talk talk to Twitter faithful out there, or I guess not faithful. Uh, talk <laughs> talk them off the ledge with Jeremy Roach. Yes, he didn't have his best game, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I don't know what else to say to Twitter about Jeremy Roach. They want him to be. We've said it before. We'll say it again, and we'll keep saying it. They want him to be Trey Jones. They want him to be Tyus Jones. They want him to be Bobby Hurley. They Twitter world wants a point guard. That's, we, we needed a point guard down the stretch. We didn't need a point guard down the stretch. We needed somebody who was going to dribble the ball across half court and not turn it over, which we didn't get with Wendell Moore. Like you can get that with just about anybody. It doesn't need to be a point guard. The point guard is not the only person on the planet who can dribble the ball to the floor and not turn the ball over. We've seen it all season with our guys being able to do so. So this is just, it's an anomaly. And Jeremy did have a bad game. We, we, were, we, uh, we were texting each other about it started off very poorly, then came back and made some very big plays offensively and defensively. And then, you know, again, followed that up later on with another bad defensive play here or there. And then, of course, that one at the end where he fell down and slipped yeah. uh, against against Moore on that drive, which created that foul opportunity for him. So, you know, that's that's not that's not a measure of Jeremy's talent. He fell down like it happens, man. Like it's an unfortunate play at the end of a game. So... Again, I'm not concerned about Jeremy in any way, shape, or form. I don't think he needs his minutes taken from him for this game. He wasn't any worse than anybody else on the team, not named Paulo Boncaro and Mark Williams. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't have, I have a gripe with Jeremy in this game in terms of he got beat back door. He played awful in the beginning and turned the ball over more than he has all season. And he'll recover from this because he's a winner, and that's what he does. Yeah, and Jack, I was going to switch over to stock market, but I, you did bring up Mark Williams, AC. So, Jack, um, you know, I have seen some other folks coming out there saying, you know, Mark Williams, you know, his stock has been down. You know, he's not playing the minutes. You know, can't play in every matchup. 
last couple outings, you know, I thought against Georgia Tech, he was fantastic. What did you see? Mark played great both of those last two games. I, I loved his play against Georgia Tech, um, and he was beating Miami. I don't know why, why Duke uh, stopped feeding him in the game against Miami. I mean, he was clearly tired. However, Miami at some points was running a 4-1 zone with a little guy down low. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's just calling for the ball and they're just trying to ISO at the top of the key inside the three-point line for a long two. It it irked me, I'm not going to lie. But I I still think Mark, Mark's been playing really well. And this is the most limited he's out there all season, right? Exactly, yeah. 27 minutes sure that's true. all season. But he's, he's proving that he can play against smaller teams. And uh, I think that's really good for him. It's good for his draft stock. It's good for his like stock as a college player just his ability to stay on the floor best ability is availability and yep. uh he's showing I, he's gonna have that availability against smaller teams i like I that. thousand percent agree with you on that because now he's starting to show that he can't be game planned out which it kind of looked like that was happening to him against uh virginia tech there for a little bit and then case started introducing the lineup that has aj in it replacing mark so now you got aj trevor paulo jeremy um and wendell and it looked like, okay, you know, we're moving to this lineup a little bit, and now Mark's kind of the odd man out, but he's he's proven the last couple of games he can't be game planned out. Yeah, what about Duke's ability or inability to get the ball into the post? Because I've seen many times where we get, you know, whether it's Paolo or Mark, we get to position and we have a really difficult time getting the ball timely into the post. Yeah, the yeah, the, the number, a true point guard, right? We need a true point guard to be able to throw it down eight feet from the perimeter down to the block, right? That's Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just watch the 76ers at that point and look spacing. at how literally everyone on that team can get the ball to Embiid down low. Yeah, it's it's spacing. It's a spacing thing. We got a beginning of the season, to begin this season, especially in, in that Kentucky game, the biggest complaint was, it was too crowded down low with Paulo and Mark. It was too crowded. They were playing block to block and it just, it looked sloppy and we couldn't get anything going on the interior. That's why Trevor had to take over from the outside. It's the same thing that happens occasionally with this team still is that the high low, K has started to implement the high low more. The high low hasn't looked amazing as we thought it would, but it has been effective at times and Paulo's a willing and a good passer. So it's just something that we're going to have to keep working and I, I can guarantee by the end of the season, it's it, it will work itself out because right now, okay, is, he's kind of in his bag working on stuff. And I, I'm excited to see how things end up because potentially that is going to be one of our best weapons is having those two in the high low. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, they've showed it against Gonzaga. They've shown it multiple times throughout the year. Yeah. You know, let, let do kind of figure things out here. So, you know, kind of talking about that, we, we, we have brought up Theo, we have brought up Paolo, but I want to start the stock market, Jack, with Wendell Moore. Last couple games, a little bit more uncharacteristic for this year of Wendell. Stock definitely is taking a little bit of a hit. You know, at first he is, you know, looking at, you know, first team All-American. And now, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing him not regress. I hate that word. But he's definitely come back a little bit. Where do you see the stock for Wendell right now? I wouldn't sell. I would still be buying Wendell Stuck right now because he had two bad games after having a respiratory virus for two weeks. He's gassed. He's not fully conditioned. And we've seen how he, how he can shift after long layoffs. He just needs to get back into the groove. I think he will. 
hopefully tomorrow. Um, I'm not worried about Wendell yet. Like, call me next week if he has two more sinkers, but I'm not so, worried about Wendell yet. I think so, he's going to get right back up to where he was. So, AC, are you are you agreeing with what with, with Jack's doing here? He's buying more Wendell stock. You know, I think the Wendell's biggest problem is decision-making right now, and I didn't think I'd be saying that this year. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. I think his, I think the decision-making, and this is one of his bugaboos the past two seasons because ever since he's been a freshman, the Duke staff has iterated that they want him to be able to play the point guard position and be the guy facilitating the offense. It's finally come to fruition this year, and the talk was all the way up for him to be national player of the year. And now he's backing off of the lists, and people are already saying he's coming back to earth and everything. So, yeah, I think right now is a good time to buy Wendell Stug. I mean, it's not as low as it was to start the season, maybe, but it's it's definitely lower than where he was when he was a national player of the year candidate. And I can absolutely see him working himself back into that back into that frame of frame of mind and frame of reference because he's too good. He's proven that he's been good all season. And I don't think this is a, oh, he's suddenly going to regress back to his being a freshman. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. So you, you still see Summer Wendell is, is here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They changed the way he ran. They changed his mindset and that, how he plays. Like, and, and the dude's owning it. Like, he's owning being the leader of this team. So, yeah, you, know, you saw in his press conference afterwards how he said he should have done better with the ball at the end of the game. He should have been the one facilitating and taking shots and things at the end of the game. So he's in his mind, I think he is working himself up and, and working himself back to being ready to be able to be in that role. And he's been in that role all season. So I doubt it now because we've, we've been so good with him at the helm and it's not going to change now. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think this is a time to buy on Wendell. Yeah. He had a couple, couple, you know, poor games, but at the end of the day, the guy has kind of demonstrated his talent and what he can produce. So look to him to have a big game, if not against Wake on Wednesday, definitely against State on, on Saturday. But let's switch gears to, quite uh, frankly, a head scratcher to me, Jack, uh, Theo John. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of confused as to why his playing time is tank. Um, he's still, he's getting buckets efficiently. He's playing defense. His rebounding has been a bit of an issue, but he's blocking shots. He's like, he's altering shots. I'm confused. That's, that's really all I, there is to it uh, that I can see. It's almost like a penny stop at this point. Yeah, I'm he's just struggling I'm to see the floor. I don't get it. No. I don't no. get it. AC, I mean, what do you got here? I mean, this is I mean, three, three minutes. He got three minutes against Miami. That's definitely low. That's lower than what we expected at the beginning of the season. We did say at the beginning of the season we thought – Overall, he probably averaged about 10 minutes a game. He came out and blew those expectations out of the water in the non-conference. I, I almost wonder if this is more game management. It feels like game management. He had uh-huh. eight, four, and three minutes since the Virginia Tech game. So it 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 doesn't. It's not the doghouse. Theo's not like if anybody will never be in the doghouse, it's Theo John. Like he's too much of a leader. He's he's an older statesman. He's that guy that you know. K, K loves a dude. So. It, this is not a doghouse scenario. And I know that term gets thrown out a lot. It's not a lack of ability type of thing because when he does get in the game, he's fairly efficient. He's shown that he has that hook shot down low that he can hit on a regular basis. And he plays, like Jack said, he plays good uh, good interior defense. So it's it's not that either. Like I, It's not like he hasn't done all of those things. Like he had that Elon game, the Appalachian State game, the game before that, both of those games for him were very good games. 
And then suddenly he's at eight minutes against VT and then he's at four minutes against Georgia Tech and now three against Miami. It, it just really feels like load management because he has had those back issues in the past and the back issues did creep up on him when he missed, he missed one game this season. So what are we doing with him in terms of, I mean, I don't even know how you can tell people to buy this because I don't even know what the hell his stock is going to be. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I, 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 this is one of those stocks where it's like, eh, I, you, you might've bought early when, when the rise started happening a little bit for him after that Kentucky game. But at this point, I think, I think it's probably too low to sell. So you might, right. yeah, you might, you might have to just hold on to it. Yeah. yeah hold um, on and just see if maybe by, by season's end when, when we start getting into that, to the conference tournament run where you have those two or three games before the conference tournament. And let's see if he starts getting a little more time out of that. All right, so Jack, we got Paul Bancaro. Uh, we all predicted on this podcast, and especially after the Gonzaga game, when he basically said, you know, I'm the best player in the country. I'm going to be the number one pick. He completely dominated. Obviously, he had the, uh, the cramping issues. But, you know, with that being said, his stock couldn't go any higher, and it has certainly dipped. You know, the guy is still putting up good numbers, you know, 17.3 points a game, seven and a half rebounds. Over two assists, over almost one and a half steals, nearly a block a game. 50% from the field, 77% from the line. He's shooting a respectable 34% from, from three. So the numbers are there in, in, in just under 30 minutes a game. But it, it, because he's so good, it feels like he's been underwhelming. He's played a little bit passive the last few games. Not that he hasn't taken over when it's been necessary like that incredible fast break dunk he had against Miami that I thought sealed it obviously didn't unfortunately but right he's he plays aggressive when he needs to but he needs to I think to be that best player in the country he needs to be more aggressive more consistently he needs to not be settling for pull-up threes um I think that's been part of the issue I think his three-point percentage should be a little higher than it is but the selection's been a little poor He's a good shooter. I'm just going to make that 100% clear. Paulo Boncaro is a good three-point shooter. He's just taking bad shots. Um, I think I think that's going to go away with some coaching. I'm not really necessarily worried. His stock has dipped, but he, from best player in the country to like third best player in the country, is not a huge dip. So I'm not going to say sell. I'm not going to say buy. I would say hold on him for the simple reason that. There's really nowhere for it to go, but slightly up. It's very hard for his stock to go down. So I'm not worried about Paulo. I think he's going to be fine. He's just been a little passive lately. But again, yeah. I think offense is going to be focused on him. So he's going to get those numbers back up. Awesome. So, you know, basically the way I look at it is Paulo Bancaro, AC, came into Duke saying he wanted to be coached by Coach K because Coach K is very hard on him. He's going to push him. And you've seen Coach K doesn't back down from that. Anytime Paulo takes a horrible shot or if he is playing passive, you don't see K hesitate to yank him or to, you know, get up there and, and, and challenge him. So from that standpoint, hopefully that continues to, to pay dividends. But do you see this as any sort of worrisome with the stock that you're holding right now with, with Paolo. I think it's going to get back to Paolo getting more plays run for him because right now 
he's he a lot of his buckets he's getting are just are even opportuni- uh, opportunistic buckets or breakdowns in the play that we've started off the bat and to begin the season you saw a lot of plays being run for him where he's initiating the play or the play he's first or second pass after they cross half court we saw them against Kentucky against Gonzaga some of those early contests as well so I, I think we get back to that I, th- I think we've taken a break from that to be able to empower some of the other guys and and set the offense up in a way where it's not just relying on Paulo and we even talked about it they're not Paulo watching anymore so I think we've gotten out of that mind mindset now and I think n- towards the end of this regular season you'll see us start working back into all right now there's gonna be more sets run for him so I'm not concerned about that I'm in a place right now where I think you can sell if you want to with Paulo because I don't know that it gets much better. I don't know how it could get much better. The dude is still ball out of control. And the, statistically, the biggest change I hope to see with him is just less turnovers. He's getting himself into trouble, trying to make drives to the bucket and things. Hopefully we'll see him be able to get easier opportunities at the bucket where he doesn't have to drive 20, 25 feet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Outside of that, I don't see a huge change. I mean, the dude's getting minutes. He's rebounding again, which is lovely to see because he is a really accomplished rebounder. And defensively, he's still one of the best defensive players we have on the team. And he's been showing that the past few games. So it feels, it does feel like he's been tentative and passive at times in some of these last few games. But he's still, I mean, he's still putting up wild numbers for, for a guy, you know, for a freshman and just for as, as big and as talented as he is. So I'm not, I'm not worried, but I think you can sell on Balo. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, so we have that, and then, you know, we kind of opened up the podcast talking about, you know, this week in Duke history, but Duke has, I don't want to say it's notorious for some head scratch and losses in January, but certainly we all know them, and I I mean, we kind of look back from the 2014-2015 season when, you know, that Duke team has a couple of losses back-to-back, and the sky is falling, and we're ready to say Coach K needs to retire, and, you know, Okafor is not as good as he was projected to be, and Thomas is in stones, and obviously all that was wrong. So, AC, what is going on in January with Duke, and where do you see this team, and how do, you know, obviously we already lost to Miami, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some interesting circumstances, obviously, but where do you see this Duke team uh, this January? I think we we're going to talk about in previews a little bit here in a minute. I, I think we have one or two more losses in us in January. I think that's typical for a coach K team. He usually breaks the season down into multiple segments. January is typically one of those segments where not only are the students back at school from winter break, dealing with new new exams, everything else, but they've also started now the conference season. Coaches are are very much no matter if the personnel changes a lot these coaches still know who they're coaching against. So they know how to scheme against certain coaches. They know what works and what doesn't. And, you know, it's conference play. So you get starting out, you get lucky coming up, especially coming off some of the, the cupcake type games teams playing in non-conference, you start to play this tougher competition again. So it's, it, you know, the ball doesn't bounce your way sometimes and it can be very overwhelming for these kids on occasion. So it's very typical on top of that. K works new sets in January on a regular basis. I know, I know the rhetoric is that K doesn't coach anymore. However, he does. And it's happened his entire career where the January segment, he starts implementing new things and you don't have army or Campbell to work those new sets against. You now have Miami, Virginia tech, Wake Forest, Florida state to have to work these new sets against. That's, that's difficult, man. We'd see the same type of loss percentage if we were starting the season against these teams and Kay was trying to work in and new 
new material. So I'm, I'm not concerned. It's typical for January. And then very typically in February, we start kicking people's asses again. So it's going to happen again this year. So I, I want to avoid the uh, the previews and, and, and our predictions, but Jack, you know, do you think, do you think, I mean, let's take what AC said there, because I think that that is, is somewhat true. The only hesitancy I would have with that is, you know, we aren't just playing six guys. The last three games were basically playing six guys. So to me, you know, yeah, we've done a really good job with integrating AJ into the fold. AJ's pretty much established himself at this point, and he's, I, I mean, let's be honest about it. He is probably a month ahead of where we thought he would be at this point already, and he kind of even started that before the break. So it's nice to see that that is there. That's awesome. Do you think that Coach K at least has to keep us honest here with getting, I don't know if it's Jalen Blake's involved, your main man, Bates Jones, whatever it is, like who do we have to get in there to maybe just give our guys a little bit more um, maybe if it's a breather or just a different look from time to time. I think that Joey and Theo are going to get more run against a team like Wake, who does have multiple guys who are 6'10 or taller and play at the center spot, um, as opposed to the smaller teams that we've seen them play recently. Um, so I think that's certainly going to help when it comes to getting guys more time on the bench, more rest, um, so that we're not gassed at the end. Um I do I do expect to see a couple of minutes of Blake's every once in a while. I don't expect him to play every game with playing more than five minutes. Um I don't I don't really know about Bates Jones, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know how consistently he's gonna get minutes. I think Blake's well, Jeff, probably Jeff, comes Jeff, you 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 and AC both told me that he was gonna win a game for us this year, so he might. He still yeah, might be February. Antonio uh, Vrankovic won a game for us in the ACC tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think right. I'm just, I just think Bates sure Jones might. Uh huh. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have game to game. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. I don't especially know how consistently he's going to play. I mean, not being out. I said Theo being out, but especially with Theo being with his minutes being limited, and if it if this truly is a load management thing for Theo, I I could absolutely see Bates getting some time. And this this again, this always happens after January. Someone unexpected emerges post January. You had Brian Zubek. You had Justin Robinson most recently. So to say it's out of the realm of possibility for Bates Jones to come out of January when maybe we have been struggling a little bit and then suddenly we found this new weapon that could help the team at all. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not opposed to still thinking that that's a possibility. We've seen that he can possibly help us with certain things. He's a good shooter. He plays decent positional defense. He's, uh, he's strong and he's older than most of the guys playing against. So that always that helps and that usually equates to someone being helpful maybe not in a national championship game or in, as a part of the six-man rotation but getting us through those ugly january and february and early march games absolutely i mean he's a 42, I he's a 42 percent three-point shooter jack so mm-hmm. i mean I, I would have to imagine that coach k who loves his shooters is going to find some way to get him involved in some fashion oh for sure especially if there's an injury or Again, just if if it turns out that he is like the J-Rob or the Matt Jones or the Zubek of this team, someone is just going to step up and be that guy who's going to come out of nowhere and be huge. I think he could be that. I'm not sure he's going to be uh, 100%, but who knows? Honestly, who knows? We'll find out by the end of February. We got we got a lot of time to, to get to that point, but let's uh, make sure that all Duke fans realize that 
in January, we're tinkering, we're trying to figure things out. We want to make sure that we're a well-oiled machine when it comes to February. So we got a couple of games over the next few days, uh, starting off with Wake Forest. Wednesday, 7 p.m. on uh, you see your favorite, uh, the ACC <laughs> Network. So you'll have your favorite commercials. Oh, God. The same one uh, over and over again. It's just so brutal. But, <laughs> uh, but give, give us a little preview for, uh, for Wake Forest. He's actually, you know, I know they're not ranked, but they're having a nice little, nice little season for themselves. No, they're not ranked, and they uh, they kind of really kind of should be at this point. I mean, Alondis Williams is a beast. He's going to be a first-team All-ACC uh, player. They they play, as Jack has already mentioned, they play a little more of a traditional set. They have Kadeem C, who used to be at Virginia Tech, transferred out, had some issues there, and now he's found his way again with Wake, and Steve Forbes has done a great job getting him involved in the in the offense. He's he's always a lengthy defender, so they'll play that, that two-big band set with him and Dallas Walton. You know, both of those guys really do a good job down low. They're not huge rebounders or anything, so I think we can, you know, as much as rebounding has been one of our one of kind of one of our struggles, if you will. I, I think this is a game where we are going to be able to rebound a little bit. You got Jake Laravia, that's a six nine guard that they have. He's a good shooter. He's a tough player, man. Like this whole team is tough. They they have that Steve uh, Steve Forbes mentality that he used to have. That I believe it was uh, East Tennessee State, if I'm not mistaken. Where he just they play that tough style. They they play downhill. They are constantly driving. So we had this problem against Miami. I would love to see us try to remedy this problem at Wake. It's gonna be tough to do at Wake, but it's something we're gonna have to do if we want to come out with the win. We're gonna have to keep them from getting downhill on us. So give us a prediction. Man, before before we lost to Miami, I had this pegged as a loss for us. Sometimes losing does help you kind of return from the depths, if you will. And historically, do you know, it, all, it feels like we've lost at Wake a lot recently, but really it, it was the early 2000s when we were losing at Wake. We've only lost one game in the 2010s at Wake since then. So it's not as often as it seemingly has happened. So I had this one pegged as a loss for that reason, but then kind of looking back at it, and now we have this loss against Miami. I'm going to say we're going to win this game. It's going to be a close one, but I say we're going to win. Let's go 80 to 75. Wow, I mean, I have eighty-two seventy-seven written down for myself. So, Jack, what do you got? I was going to say eighty-three to seventy-six. So, <laughs> all, right, so, all, all right there. Ah, so we're Gosh. all right there, all right there. And then we have our favorite Jack coming up on Saturday, NC State. Luckily, this one is in the front of the confines. We don't have to go down to uh, PNC uh, in there in Raleigh. So, what do you see happening against NC State? Honestly, it's NC State, so it's going to be a challenging game regardless of how good they actually are. Um, they got they got a really interesting roster build. They got Helms, who is a shooter, but not the most consistent shooter in the world. He he is at thirty eight and a half percent from three, um, but he's like make a ton then miss a ton more than anything. They got uh, Hayes as their PG. Technically, this is a team that has a lot of ball movement just in general. So you're going to see it's not necessarily going to be their PG run in the offense. It's going to, it's just, they're a weird team and they confuse me, but it's going to be a close game. The ACC is always competitive, even when there's one team that's actually clear cut good and the rest of them aren't like this year. ACC is always competitive, especially the, uh, the triangle games. So <laughs> This is going to be this is going to be one of those games where 
I think Duke is going to be surprised out of the gates. And then I guess before coaches stopped wearing suits, this would have been a game where Kay would take his coat off, but he can't really do that anymore. So imagine Kay taking his jacket off at halftime. It's going to be a challenging game. My prediction for NC State. Oh, gosh. My prediction for NC State is uh, it's like 79 to 72. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually right there with you again. I got 78-74 uh, Duke winning this game. AC rounded out. Uh, I mean, it starts for – NC State starts with Darion Sebron. That dude's a monster. If you if you don't know who he is yet, get to know him. The dude averages double-double. He's he's insane. They're they're a good team. Kevin Keats has done a good job. He's done good. Uh, good. He and Jim Laranega have probably both done a good enough job to where even Kay's last season with a monster team and a team that's probably going to win the ACC, he probably still won't win ACC coach of the year because of these two. They shoot a lot of threes. They don't hit them. They're, they're streaky with them. But you, you know this story. When it comes to playing Duke at Duke, Duke's got the softest runs in the ACC, and teams love coming in there to play, and they will be shooting. They will be gunning their shots. So I have this one as a loss, man. I have this oh, one as, as I have this as a loss for us. And I, I can see us getting down big early on in this game, especially if they are hitting and then we're not hitting. I mean, they they allow 40% from three. So they're pretty terrible defensively and they lost Manny Bates, so they don't have much down low either. But Kevin Kevin Keats has done a good job kind of manufacturing defense and stretches for them. So I, I can see that being an issue if we are in kind of turnover January right now. So I, I have this as a loss for us. I'm gonna say it's 84 to 80. All right. Well, a rare uh, predicting of a loss for uh, for AC, but if, if if nothing else, you are uh, you are you're honest, you're genuine. Mm-hmm. You want the uh, you want everybody to know, and hopefully you're wrong. All right. So yeah. let's take a little trip south of the border to uh, to Tallahassee, <laughs> yeah, <to> Mexico. <laughs> we going to Tijuana. My gosh. <laughs> Go, we're going to little Tijuana south of the border Aztecs. here. To uh, to the Florida State Seminoles down in Tallahassee, nine o'clock on Tuesday, January eighteenth. AC, uh, you know, does Florida State have their typical nineteen players over seven foot five uh, on the roster this year? They don't. They have big guards, but they don't have all those. I mean, they do have. They have. They have a guy who's seven four, but he doesn't really play as often. They they have. They have the big guys that usually Leonard Hamilton likes to keep, but they they don't play them as often as they do. The one who plays the most is John Butler. He's their center down low. But they do have big guards again. They're starting to play tough again. They just they had a snafu against Wake Forest. Wake Forest moved about twenty, so they did have that little setback there. But they're they're still they're still a team to be reckoned with. They have some good players. Matt Cleveland needs to have more people talk about him. He's he's a freshman, kind of forgotten about in this class a little bit. But he's like the Scotty Barnes light. The dude does kind of everything for him off the bench. He's a really good player, man. And they they bring all that length and, and talent that Florida State sometimes has except for this year they just you know they just haven't been able to put it together especially from from shooting so you know you got Raquan Gray back I think Raquan or Raquan Evans excuse me back so they they have they have a solid squad their guards are good but this is one of those games we need to bully them down low and I think we will bully them down low and I predicted the loss prior to this game so I think coming off of a loss this is going to be a good game for us well you got to give me a score AC I'm not a margin I'm going. I'm going with a bigger win this time for Duke than the last couple of games we put in. So I'm going to say it's going to be Duke 78. They like to slow the game down a little bit. Duke 78, Florida State 62. 
Oh wow, sixteen point win. Big I win. Got, mm-hmm. That is a big win. I got eighty-one seventy-two, so a little bit more high scoring than than UAC, but um, nine point comfortable nine point win. Jack rounded out here, and let's see what we can do. Oh, geez, Florida State—they're a tough team. They go through Malik Osborne and uh, Caleb Mills, so Paulo and either Jeremy or Wendell is going to be challenged along the defensive end. Um, I'm not necessarily worried about that though, again, because their defense is quite frankly trash. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I think it's going to be like probably 75 to 68. Honestly, I think they're going to play Duke because Leonard Hamilton is very good at this. I think they're going to play Duke closer than everyone expects, but I still think Duke's going to come out with a win. All right. Well, there we have it. We do have uh, the majority of these are all wins predicted uh, from the Flatpoint Play podcast team. This week in Duke history, we'll be back again next week. We got three big games before we're back with you guys. Let's go Duke. Let's get some W's here. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!